Welcome to a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics. I'm Johnny Groney, and he is Will Ashen. Hi, Will. Hey, that's me. That's who I am. This is time. This is the time. The time has come. The time. I have been trying to get you to watch this movie and talk about it with me for, it feels like, a year since last year. Yes. Well, yeah, since last year, you could say, yeah, sure. Yeah. The Whale with Brendan Fraser. Well, why did it take you so long to see The Whale? Were you, what's the excuse this well, time? Okay, so I've wanted to see this film, to be clear. I, I am a fan of Darren Aronofsky. I've been really, really, really rooting for uh, Brendan Fraser's comeback. Uh, by no means was the delay uh, anything to do with the film itself, actually. It was because of the holidays. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like people tend to have more time than I do. I don't know, for some reason, I get really busy around the holidays. Uh, either with family stuff or work stuff, what have you. Uh, so this past or this ongoing week, I should say, was the first time I had a chance to actually watch the film. But it didn't help matters that you were kind of bouncing between being adamant that I see it and then being like, oh, what a terrible movie. Don't see this film. Right. Don't go. How could you even think about seeing it? But then being like, well, what are you going to see the whale? And it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> which, which do you want? Do you not want me to see it or do you want me to see it? No, I'm upset that this is even happening and that you watched it and listened to me. Um, no, I mean, I was going to see it. Path. Well, yeah, if you had told me not to see it, I would have definitely that's part seen of it. it. That's part of it. If you had been on the fence and you're like, John, I, I don't know if I want to watch this movie. I don't know what to do. I would have given you honest advice, but I knew you were. I knew you couldn't stay away. I know when you hear the name Darren Aronofsky, you're already like checking the Regal app for, you know, your tickets, I guess in your case, AMC. There you go. So, yeah, this is... um. The last A24 movie that I saw in 2023, I want to say, uh, still have a few others that are on my list, uh, like Close and The Inspection okay, from yeah. last year. I did see Close. I haven't seen The Inspection. Yeah, I have both screeners. I just uh, have been trying to find the right time to sit down and watch them, and I'm looking forward to both. But that said, The Whale, I, I'll get out right out and say it. I think I've already said it on the main show at this point. Terrible movie, in my opinion. I think one of the worst movies of 2022. I think I only had one or two movies below it in my like whole year ranking thing. And, and it, it, which is weird because weird in the sense that it's Darren Aronofsky and I, I don't usually despise Darren Aronofsky's work. I usually respect it a lot. You know, even the stuff that doesn't work for me quite as well. Yeah. Right. I, I certainly have found value, sure. it, but in this case, I, I'm a, I'm an opponent, not a proponent of sure. this movie. So those were your expectations going in. You were kind of because because well, this is an awards favorite, but it's not mm-hmm. like I'm the only one who doesn't like it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be in to your credit, I mean, we've only covered one previous Darren Aronofsky show on this podcast, but it was Mother, a right. film that was also fairly divisive. But it you was. and I were both really positive on it. I mean, I think I might we went been, to bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I might be a little bit more favorable. I think you were a little bit. Like you were f- high on the film, but more reserved, I think. And I was like, "This is really I'm still good." Processing it, um, to be honest, still I am honestly. Sure. So I'm still, I am of the belief with Mother that it's almost kind of a really good film by accident. Like I, I feel like the film that Darren Aronofsky, on its face, intended to make is not as interesting as the film that I think he actually made. If you get what I mean by that, I don't know if I understand exactly. Well, the, like. Yeah. 
it makes sense to me, but almost by accident. Funny enough. Sure. I mean, I think, I mean, he, he had an obvious sort of biblical allegory, you know, for the film with, uh, mother in this case being mother nature and then you know uh oh but do you mean the sort of like the anxiety that the movie also says in its messaging you think was not as intentional no no like the social anxieties of it that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the the god complex that seems to be uh for darren aronofsky where he's seemingly kind of indirectly or maybe directly i don't know commenting on the fact that he is uh you know he has a sort of ego that he drives and he often dates uh his co-stars like Rachel yes. Vice, and then obviously Jennifer Lawrence, you know, fittingly also uh, partnered with Darren Aronofsky and that he has this kind of ego maniacal, th- uh, you know, vision of himself and all that stuff and how that, that can kind of prevent him from having, you know, probably a healthy functioning uh, social life. And that, right. you know, he has a less than stellar reputation around Hollywood. People genu- generally do not like him, but they like they, they acknowledge his talent. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at him like it almost like a JK Simmons character from whiplash, sure. you know, somebody like he gets results, but at what cost is kind of the feeling. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is that like, I think he was like an engineer initially before he was a filmmaker, before he made pie. Um, He's from Brooklyn. Uh, he was a field biologist. Field bio- okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, I think was in uh, like Kenya, like in the eighties. Oh, well. he, he's not that old. I mean, he's no. in his early fifties, right. isn't he? But I just know that yeah. he, he was in a science based field. And I think that might uh, mm-hmm. kind of lend himself to being a little bit more analytical, I think with his filmmaking, not that he does. I mean, he takes a lot of risks, but I think he also kind of, uh, he, he might have a more kind of distant uh, relationship to like how he views film and how he like it should be made and all that. And I, I kind of wonder how that affects him in his personal life, but that's obviously stuff I can't really speculate on sure, outside yeah, of my analysis can, of the film uh, mother. <laughs> yeah. You can certainly see a lot of his influences too. He said outright that like Akira Kurosawa, you know, Roman Polanski, he, his cinematic influences, he's somebody who came to film a bit later than a lot of people, sure. you know, at his, not, in his position usually do, right. He's not Spielberg from Fableman's, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where he's making Westerns, uh, you know, in his bedroom. I'm surprised you uh, didn't mention his, uh, love of anime, which anime, see- well, <laughs> seeps into his work a lot. Um, and I feel like that would be something you'd be the first to point out. Cause that's actually like part of how he got into film as well. I think he was friends with an animator, um, and so that was kind of, he's always had that kind of bent to him and he does have like a cinematic style that reminds me of like the way that anime stories flow, specifically something like Black Swan. Uh, one of the reasons I felt very drawn to that movie was because of the way that it, like it's surrealist quality and it's combining of like the, the thriller elements with the surreal. That's very, very anime. And so it definitely comes through, but at the same time, like I said before, People genuinely find him a bit, I don't know if arrogant is the right word, pretentious. Like, you know, he kind of has that reputation where he's sort of like this, uh, you know, almost uh, like a film snob, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't know if that's always been fair. I mean, I just feel like he makes what he makes and he's just not that like, I don't know if it's not that he's self-aware. It's more of like he just doesn't care what other people think and it kind of rubs people the wrong way. I mean, I'll get into my thoughts, obviously, on The Whale in a bit, but I mean, predating that i would be i was a fan of like all of his films not to the same degree but uh i really have liked or really liked every film that he has made to date what's your favorite one my favorite is the wrestler which i'll talk about a lot more later on but 
Um, I think to your point, like there are two films of his, I think in the film community were acknowledged as like, everyone sort of agrees that the, these two films are good and that's yes. Requiem for a Dream and yeah. Black Swan. I think everyone was just kind of like, well, well, rest. You don't think everyone agrees on the wrestler? Um, I feel like it's, he doesn't give as much credit for that one. I weirdly, I feel like it's more I somewhat disagree. I, I think that ha- that movie is, I mean, I love well the movie. Liked. Yeah. I just, I feel like people don't bring up as much. Like when they talk about Aronofsky, they're talking about Requiem or Black Swan. I get that. But yeah, maybe they're his most prolific films, to your credit. Noah, people just tend to be like, oh, yeah. That, I mean, okay. people treat Noah like an ambitious failure, but I think it's a good film. Like, it's very intriguing. Yeah. I think I, I really wish we had more kind of biblical movies like that as opposed to, you know, say, Heaven is Real or God's Not Dead or something. Like, something that's really challenging the, the biblical text and, like, having... Mm-hmm. You know, like some pretty lofty visions for like what the Bible could be on film. I feel like that's very rare. And well, and part of it's because, you know, directors don't really get to Aronofsky's stature nowadays and and do that or have the platform to do so. Uh, Certainly not uh, after the commercial failure of Noah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like uh, I I like that movie. Obviously, we talked about Mother. I like a lot. I don't know where you stand on The Fountain. I haven't. I haven't seen the Fountain. Sure, that's uh, 2006, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, and uh, he, he, Rachel Weisz, I know for sure is in that. Is a Hugh Jackman yep. in the main one? That's right. Okay, maybe one of these days I'll I'll cross it off the list. I have seen everything else, including Pi. Um, now that said, when I think of um, like Aronofsky and like what he's drawn to, like the kinds of the kinds of things that tend to tie his movies together, if you look at the last several i think you do see a running theme between black swan noah and mother and now the whale where he's sort of taking these literary like well-known literary source materials and kind of redubbing them for his own purposes like black swan is such a prolific piece of music and everything he didn't write that movie though i just think it's more of like what he's drawn to same thing with the whale so the whale was written by samuel d hunter uh, it's a play he did in 2012, but I saw clips of the the play, and it's it's fairly close to what Aronofsky did uh, in terms of the the writing. But yeah, I I think that it, it is something that he seems to be more interested in these days. I'm not sure why necessarily. Maybe it's because you know, like me, Aronofsky finds the literary world a little bit tough to take seriously sometimes sometimes i read these literary fiction books and i'm just kind of everybody seems to be chasing gone girl honestly uh, that's my impression there are very few literary works i've personally gotten a lot of love out of uh, i don't know how you, you if you agree or disagree like because i know you read literary sometimes too i'm a man of words i like to read uh i'm hoping to read more in this new year of 2023 uh i didn't read that many books last year unfortunately but um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what the initial question was, uh, but um, as far as Darren Aronofsky's influences and how he treats film, I mean, I certainly think The Whale uh, is of peace with The Wrestler and Black Swan. Like, It feels kind of like the, the third installment of that uh, unofficial trilogy. Mm. That's not to say it's up to their stature to be, you know. Or that it's all that similar to them, right? No, I think because, it's actually I mean, pretty it's probably similar. the most similar to Mother no, in terms of like one location. No, it's most similar to the wrestler by far. I mean, in terms of the emotion, I guess. No, like, because I, the I story is very but... similar. I mean, it's it's about a man kind of pushing yeah, himself to his limit uh, in his torn relationship with his daughter. 
Yeah, that's the emotional, like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so we're saying the same thing, but we're arguing about it, which is the, it's the classic the same emotions as uh, the rest. Yeah, <laughs> as the uh, Simholics formula there. Okay, well, look, I think that that means the whale should be an easy mark for a guy named Will Ashton. And I'm sure you, you know, maybe we're feeling nothing but confused about some of the, the critical reactions for me in particular. Not that we always agree, um, especially because this is the Brennan Fraser comeback. You know, I called it in my review, the Renaissance, you know, even though he hasn't necessarily gone away completely or anything, he's been in a lot of television and all, uh, but he certainly isn't as big of a movie star as he used to be. And I think a lot of people are ready for Brennan Fraser to come back uh, to the big screen more frequently because he really is a fantastic actor and it you know we i don't know if you want to get into you know his career and all that i, I don't think it's uh i love we could to. be here all day yes okay <laughs> please do then uh well what do you want to talk about well you know i, I kind of touched on it but i think that some people kind of act like he disappeared he didn't really uh, I mean, he's he, been around yeah i mean well he had a you know like when he started out he was doing fairly you know, mature adult films. Like I think, uh, what was it? Um, Gods and monsters was like kind of one of the films that put him on the radar as like kind of a burgeoning young dramatic actor. But then I think he kind of, but I mean, way before that, I mean, we're, I mean, Encino man is, okay. is I was gonna like say, breakout. He had like, yeah, like airheads and Encino man, but then more notably, I think for maybe our generation, he had these, uh, family movies where he was like sure, George sure. the Jungle and Looney Tunes back in action, uh, Dudley Do-Right, where, you know, I think people kind of saw him as this kind of, you know, handsome uh, himbo type, I guess, who would kind of play like these, you know, daffy but lovable kind of, you know, goofball characters. And I think people innately, and in addition to that, there's also The Mummy where he kind of played into that in a more kind of like, a term you like to use more swashbuckling sort of way yes um mummy being i think one of his most successful just franchise efforts i mean truly like a just a terrific pair of movies third one can maybe uh i mean we can forget about that would you say the second one's that hot i like the second one yeah it's fine i mean the third one's atrocious it's it's nostalgia yeah you know yeah but that first one that first one's uh, yeah it's just a terrific little piece of uh yeah, Pop entertainment. Numbers. Yeah, it gets mm-hmm. what you want out of a film. Uh, him and Rachel Weiss have tremendous uh, sexual chemistry together in a film such as that one. Uh, yeah, and I think you know, I think people kind of had like a um, deep seated sort of like, like you said, it's, it's partially nostalgia, but it's also like the fact that you know, in recent years, we've we've heard a little bit more about what's been going on in his life, and it's been pretty tragic. Like he's had a lot of health issues, um, mm-hmm. and he's he's also been. Uh, the victim of sexual assault uh, and he's had these horrible things happen. And obviously I think everyone sort of likes and respects him and he's had a hard kind of go of it late. And you want a film like this to innately succeed, not only because it's like his first major dramatic role in a long time in the lead role. I mean, uh, but yeah, it's just like, it seems like, you know, if, if the chips fell in line and it's a good enough film and a great enough performance that he would finally get some like, you know, Oscar love and it would actually kind of pave the way for him to do you know, more kind of uh, work that matches the stature of how much people like him, I guess. And and obviously that's kind of being uh, seen already because he's going to be in, in Killers of the Flower Moon. He was already in Soderbergh's uh, No Sudden Move uh, last mm-hmm. year or two years ago now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's already kind of earning that goodwill and kind of building his career and, and, and doing some really exciting work with some really 
talented filmmakers. But yeah, it seemed like the whale had the potential to be kind of the one that got him some major awards consideration. It probably will in some respects. Well, and you did bring it up, and I think we should make clear, according to Frazier himself, he believes a part of the reason he got blacklisted uh, to the extent that he did in the 20 teens was because of his his allegation against the uh, the Hollywood executive who assaulted him. I forget the name of the executive, but in, in his own words, he said that, that that was a big reason why the phone stopped calling for him when it did. And, and you can kind of see his career trajectory really take a bit of a nosedive. I think I, I think one of the last movies I saw in theaters from him, I mean, I guess I did see Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, but I remember like you know, before that, I guess, or around that time was like journey to the center of the earth. And it just felt like after that, we really didn't see him that often, you know, a couple of voice roles, you know, uh, very little movies, uh, maybe like uh, an indie movie here and there. But yeah, to what you're saying, I think the, the big theatrical, uh, not even theatrical because a lot of us saw it on streaming, but the big kind of like movie return for him was no sudden move where you had a bit of a, just a really like a really notable role in that it wasn't just a cameo or anything and i think it took a lot of people by surprise of like yeah fraser like here he is like why let's get some more you know fraser up in here yeah uh, and then the whales is the, the big follow-up to that and you already mentioned killers of the flower moons coming up yeah so and yeah. uh it should be noted that he's on tv he's been doing some really you know i haven't watched any yeah of i mentioned stuff that. that yeah because tv is not where he was blacklisted so he was able i think doom patrol uh, sure, the affair, like a big boon I for believe him. he was uh, the affair, on there. Yeah. Um, trust on FX. Uh, yeah, trust I mean, and uh, another one. Um, he had, yeah, he, he had a recording role on that show Condor. I don't know if you ever watched it. I did but, not. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I think he has an appearance because I said Doom Patrol, but I think he also was in Titans, that other DC show. Well, that so was, he was kind of doing the superhero stuff. Well, wasn't uh, Doom Patrol kind of a backdoor pilot from Titans? Yeah, I think it was kind of like how that got because Titans was like the year before Doom Patrol premiered. And then I think that kind of like launched him. Yeah. Yeah. But I was looking it up. um, Do you you guess what the last theatrical film I saw of Brendan Fraser before The Whale was? Mm, That could be tough. That could be tough. I'm going to say live action or voice role? Voice role. No, it's got to be the nut job, right? That is correct. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I never saw the nut job, though. Yeah. Live action. Oh, I'd have to go way back. Yeah, I think for uh, me, it would be Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Live um, action, he, it might honestly be, mm-hmm. in theaters at least, uh, Looney Tunes back in action. I think he has a cameo in that G.I. Joe movie, actually, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. No, I think it would be that, because that's like a year or two after um, his 2008 year, which I think 2008 was supposed to be his like return. You know, people like, here he is. Because uh, he was in that, oh man, Inkart? he was in that other movie. Inkart, yeah, yeah. Never saw it. I didn't see that one, yeah, though. Yeah, I didn't see that. I don't think I saw it. I saw a lot of movies in 2008, and so a lot of them kind of washed down my face. Um, okay, Brendan Fraser, though. He's back in The Whale. This is his big prestige picture, though. This is the movie that has award season written all over it, from the talent to really the pedigree of you know the the studio put it like the weight that they're putting behind this movie it has been on like i think short lists and everything it's been nominated for uh, golden globe critics choice but as we've mentioned it's polarizing i don't like it uh, there are a lot of reasons i don't like it and i want to hear from you though will i'll, I'll set the movie up and then i want to get your uh, take i actually want to hear from you first this time around because i feel like i'm still you, working through um, my thoughts and you clearly okay. have a lot to say and i just want you to get it out of your system <laughs> Remind me when you saw it. I saw this on Tuesday. 
Tuesday. Okay, so you, yeah, you've only oh, had sorry. a day, huh? So, uh, Monday. I, I keep mixing Monday. up my days. Yeah, so I saw it two days. You've ago. had two yeah. days. That that's different. But no, I'm just joking. Um, okay, so yeah, I'll still set it up here a little bit. But the the premise of the movie is that we are following a reclusive English professor. Uh, he only works. He conducts all of his classes online. He keeps the camera off. Uh, at all times in order to hide his appearance. And we quickly find out why. Uh, It's because he's a 600-pound man, and his higher weight has really led to him having uh, a lot of health issues. Uh, He is pretty much, because of congestive heart failure and these issues, he he doesn't have long to live. And everyone around him is telling him that, but he's sort of waving it off, uh, particularly his his closest friend in the movie is a nurse named Liz. Uh, She's played by Hong Chow. So um, she's having quite a year with this in the menu. And uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a her kind of coming into the movie, trying to be his, like, you know, his friend trying to help, you know, get him to do the right thing here. And the whole movie takes place in his apartment and it's like a revolving door of all the characters. It's actually kind of amazing uh, how many people just kind of come in and out of this place at any given time. Uh, There's a a missionary named Thomas, so an obvious reference to like Doubting Thomas. And then he has a connection to uh, the former partner of Brendan Fraser's character. And to be honest, I'm I think his name is Charlie in the movie, but I, I say that not confidently. Um, but his character, yeah, is kind of like just sitting around and people just keep coming in. Uh, this missionary is trying to get him to find Jesus. It's kind of like this cult-like, not quite Christian, not quite Mormon sort of thing going on. I think the movie takes place in uh, not why is it like Wyoming or Idaho. It's like some kind of like flyover state, but I forget which one. I don't even know if they call it out in the movie, to be honest. Uh, that said, oh, did you know? Oh, they call it out, yeah. So I, but I'm trying to remember if it was Idaho or Indianapolis. I or, think it's supposed to be like when you watch it, like or, or, I was thinking Utah, but they chose a different state to kind of like cap because Utah is like the Mormon state, and I think they were trying to like yeah, know. maybe that was I forget. I do they do say what it is, but I don't remember exactly. I think it's Idaho, but uh, yeah, I I could be wrong there. Um, one of the other characters that comes in a lot is his daughter, uh, but his estranged daughter, uh, played by Sadie Sink. So Sadie Sink from Stranger Things. And uh, I think we also saw her recently in Fear Street, one of the Fear Street movies. And she hates his guts. She's over the top evil. And he's trying to like reconnect with her before he dies. But obviously she wants nothing to do with him unless it involves him giving her a bunch of money and stuff like that. So all that said, The movie is just kind of, uh, I said it already, it's like a revolving door of misery. We're really focusing in on this guy's like really sad life, uh, the trauma that kind of, you know, he's still dealing with the death of his longtime boyfriend, the the man that he left his wife for, which is why he and his daughter are estranged, uh, a man who had this very complicated relationship with religion, and that kind of is informing sort of Charlie's attitude toward uh, faith and things like that. And here, here's the thing. Here, here, here's what it comes down to for me. I think that the movie keeps coming back to this idea that, you know, write about writing essays. The, it's called The Whale in part because he's fixated on this essay about Moby Dick. And I think that he views himself, you know, sort of as uh, this very like uh, tragic figure. And 
a lot of times in the movie, he keeps coming back to like what the point of writing an essay is. And I think that Aronofsky is using the language of film in order to tie that to, you know, what is the point of making a film, making any kind of art? And it's just to be honest. Just if you are honest and you don't hold back your punches, you don't have any sort of like filter, even if it's clumsy, even if it's, you know, amateur, there's something still valuable to it because it's honest. And I think the thing that rubs me the wrong way about that, and and I'm kind of, I'm harping on like a small thing. I hate a lot of things about this movie, particularly Brendan uh, Fraser's, uh, just just how his character is like utilized by the script here um, and and what this movie is saying and doing to people who are higher weight. But on top of that, I, I just hate this idea of like, everybody, everybody's opinion, you know, as long as you're honest, there's some value to it. No, like sometimes people just say things and they're being honest, but they're being dumb and wrong and stupid. And this movie is just so grating on that level because it's just the epitome of thinking that you're saying something intelligent, but you're not. And I don't think that what Samuel D. Hunter was trying to accomplish here feels like his story to tell. And I think he's just grafting onto something sensational in order to get a round of applause. And I think it comes through even when Aronofsky is trying to find some artistic bone in it. And I feel really bad for everybody involved to an extent, at least. I don't know what's going on with Sadie Sink in this movie, but it is just irredeemable like and and she's not a bad actor or anything but i do think that like she keeps getting directed to be this just really like cringe inducing character and everything she is these days it's really annoying so i I hate this because i really want brendan frazier to be in a movie that deserves him i really want his comeback to be successful and i don't think that this movie is going to ruin that for him because people are recognizing that his acting is there but there are just certain scenes in this movie that are like genuinely, I think objectively just toxic to watch uh, and that just should not exist. And I I just think it's just such a brain dead, like exercise in just torture, torturing the audience, honestly. And yeah, I I can get a little bit more articulate, but that's like the basic, you know, broad sense that I get with this movie. I hate thinking about it. And, uh, but I do want to talk about it because I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of touched into some things that I was planning to address, which is, for me, I, I kind of break this down into like three different factions, which comes down to, as you mentioned, uh, the direction, the writing, and the acting. And I feel like I have sort of a different opinion on each. Uh, as far as the script is concerned, uh, I didn't ever sell the play. I don't know if I ever will. And I, I haven't read the, te- uh, the, the um, script or anything. But I mean, I do think, like you said, I mean, for me, the biggest thing about it that I take issue with is that it's sort of inherently disingenuous for a film that is often kind of paying lip service to the idea of like, you have to be real with people. You you can't suffer, you know, fools lately. You have to be honest. You can't, you know, there's no room for bullshit and great art and all this stuff. I I found the script itself to be fairly overout at best and sort of uh, disingenuous at worst. And I, don't really think it's capable of handling this material in a way that feels as nuanced as it's trying to be or have the sort of um, emotional complexity that's searching for. Like a lot of the characters, especially the the supporting ones, feel kind of weirdly kind of goofy. Sadie Singh's character in particular just doesn't feel like a genuine teenager to me. She's almost sort of like cartoonishly evil at times. Uh, And I I didn't... the, The one character here that felt real outside of uh what brendan fraser can do uh is hong chow's character and i think she gives the best Not samantha morton i came close with her i think her character is too 
I don't think it, it I, I like the performance. I thought the character itself was pretty short changed. I think she makes Fair the enough. most about what she's able to do, but it's mostly her just like kind of getting boxed into a few point monologues against Brendan Fraser. And I, don't know, I, I felt like that character wasn't particularly well written either, but I thought, I, I mean, I'm always happy to see Samantha Moore and I didn't even know she was in the movie. So when I saw her, I was really happy. I was like, Oh, Samantha Moore. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh, Hey, um, how are you doing? But no, Hong Chao is the character, her, her, the actress, I mean, who I yeah. felt like was able to really channel into something real here. And I feel like her performance is grounded and sincere and it's, it's even kind of haunting at times. Like she's clearly trying to help this man who's, isn't looking to help himself is kind of accept his fate. She's also kind of suffering for reasons that we didn't really discuss with a similar sort of tragedy he's facing in a very sort of direct way. And she, she uses it as a way to help others. Whereas he's using it to kind of internalize his guilt uh, and kind of accept his mortality and what's going to happen. And yeah, I I guess uh, I just don't really see, I don't know. I I know this was a hot project for a while. Like I know this wasn't the only adaptation that was going to come out. Like I know one point Tom Ford and James Corden were going to do this at one point. I think there are other adaptations in the works. I just from the script, I just don't really see unless this really comes alive on stage in a way that I just don't see in the film. I don't really get why it was such a hot ticket thing to do this play, but I I can see why Aronofsky was intrigued by the project. Uh, Like I said before, it kind of ties back into what he was doing with um, both The Wrestler and Black Swan, where it's this idea of art. In those cases, there are two artists who are pushing their body to the max in order to reach some sort of either perfection or redemption or acceptance for what they're able to do to the point of basically killing themselves for their art. Um, and I think this film kind of similar, like how um, black Swan tackles the sort of supernatural with that. This tackles more of the spirituality of it. And the idea of, like I said, redemption and God and like what role does spirituality play in people's lives, certainly in the face of tragedy and loss and grief. And I, I think it's interesting, tough to explore. I think Aronofsky, seems a little restrained here in a way that I wasn't anticipating. Like, I, I don't think he needed to take his more sort of sensational approach. Like, I think it would have been ill-suited for this project. I think he's trying to be a little bit more restrained deliberately. Um, but I felt like the material isn't very cinematic by design. And so, like, you kind of just you constantly are thinking about the play when you're watching it and like how this is performed. And I feel like only really at the end, do we get like a fairly cinematic moment. And for me that I find that to be a bit strange. And I also find myself outside of what I mean, I get why Aronofsky chose this kind of given his past, but I'm still kind of wondering like what his intent was with the material. But then, like I said, going back to the acting, I feel like Frazier's performance, even though I do take issue with the character, it's a little too guileless. It's a little too... The the, the edges are often standing off for him. He's like so like heartfelt and like basically without sin for a character who is really inherently complicated and has done, you know, not with, uh, with bad intent, but he has done things that aren't really great. And it's like partially his fault, partially not. And then he's also not really taking responsibility for how he's going to hurt people with what he's doing. And I feel like there's a lot of intriguing ground. The movie doesn't want to explore because it just wants to make him seem as kind of like 
pure and good heart as possible. But I do think that uh, Frazier's performance really kind of brings more of that nuance and, and complexity because it's, it's a really soulful kind of empathetic performance. It's very earnest. And I think he does bring a lot more to it that the page isn't able to bring. Uh, and I think through his performance, I was really connecting with the film and able to uh, really be touched by what he's doing because there is a lot of truth that he brings to it. And I think he, he doesn't really see this as a gimmick or a sensational. I think he really wants to hone into who Charlie is as a character and find the dramatic truth of it. But when he's kind of fighting against uh, what could be either, like I said, disingenuous or sort of sensationalist intent, it's it's hard to wonder, like, what good is that in a film that isn't really servicing his talents and what he's trying to bring to it? So I guess that's a long winded way of saying I don't exactly know where I stand on the film. OK, I, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I wanted to mention because you brought it up that uh, Aronofsky. Yeah, he has been trying to make the movie for about a decade. And since the play came out, basically, and according to him, he said that the reason that he wasn't able uh, to make it as quickly as he wanted to, uh, which is it's because he just didn't have the casting figured out until he thought of Fraser, basically. In fact, he said that uh, it's because he saw a trailer for uh, Fraser's movie Journey to the End of the Night. And that's kind of like what uh, I think he said, like, that's what clicked for him. Journey to the end of the world, you mean? No, Journey to the End of the Night. Journey to the End of which, the Night. Which, uh, yeah, totally different movie. Um, that's the movie that Frazier did, I think, in oh, like wait, 2006. Sorry. I'm thinking of Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah, my that's bad. a different. Yeah, I was going to say, my bad. Yeah, he did a lot of Journey movies watching. <laughs> but it's a totally different movie uh, in terms of like tone and style and all that stuff. But yeah, no, so finally he, you know, and, and I think it's kind of funny that Aronofsky, you know, in the late 20s is watching like movie trailers for movies that came out like in the 2000s. I think that's kind of it's kind of cute. Uh, but anyway, I think, well, you touched on some stuff there that, oh boy, uh, specifically, like there's this whole thing around the movie where the character uh, like Hong Chao's character, and I agree with you about her performance. I think it works quite well. Uh, there is something kind of real there. But um, there's this point in the movie where like she basically is kind of saying that like what he's doing, he's doing to her, you know, and I think that kind of sums up, I think, a lot of issues that I think I have with this movie's take on, you know, people who have higher weight and like fat people in general. And there have been, you know, some people who look at the fact that, you know, Brendan Fraser had to, to wear a prosthetic fat suit. You know, and they didn't hire an obese actor. And I find that kind of like a complicated thing. You know, it's like, well, you know, if Brendan Fraser, you know, is the is such a great actor and he can he can do such a great job with the role. Is, yeah. it, is it right to cast him? But, you know, is it right to expect him to to, you know, eat more to like to gain more weight and well, stuff? Yeah, where that's I tough. stand on it is like I don't really take as much issue with him wearing the fat suit because for one, like I'm not expecting him to gain hundreds of pounds for the role. Uh, and put his own health on the line. And also, I mean, to address the elephant in the room, like he's a heavy set guy now, or at least he was when he made the film. Like, I, I don't think it's like, uh, like a skinny actor putting on a fat suit for me. It's not, you know, it's all like that, like Tyra Banks segment that always kind of floats around here and there online from like the two thousands. Like, I think he, I don't know. I, I don't think it's quite as, uh, fat phobic, I guess, as people are making out to be, but I, I can understand the complaint to be sure. I, th- I think what it comes down to for me is that the movie is trying to express an empathy, right, for fat people. But to me, it comes off as extremely superficial. 
and a bit paper thin, and it kind of undermines itself along the way. And I think that that to me is like the main emotional issue with this movie. It's a movie that's lecturing to us that, you know, in order to find, you know, true happiness, I guess, or to get what you want out of life, you got to be honest and create something that is risky. You know, what is this movie if not risky? You know, you're going to offend people no matter what you do when you do a story like this. But a story like this should exist. I think that's certainly what the the makers of the film would try to get across. Right. And I think that's like a, a fair a fair goal. But I think that at the same time, I don't find the movie very honest about what it's trying to say. I find a lot of what it's trying to say about like, oh, people are amazing. And like, you know, this whole thing about, you know, like just being optimistic in light of things. And then it just comes off as just like weirdly schmaltzy. And it just comes off as not genuine and not from a place of authenticity, honestly. And so to me, it just reeks of a story by somebody who does not understand the experiences of the people that he's bringing to bear. And I think fundamentally, like what I'm finding and, you know, maybe, maybe I'm being too judgmental here, but it makes me think that Samuel D. Hunter as a writer is fairly incurious and, and just not a person who really does think much about, you know, what people are genuinely feeling because that that's how it comes off to me. And I hope I'm wrong. Um, because I just think this movie has such a rotten heart to it. Yeah, again, I I mean, I'm not going to really speak on uh, the play itself because I, I haven't seen it. But yeah, I mean, the p- material itself, like I said, it does have a sort of air of inauthenticity to it that um, does kind of grate me. And I feel kind of goes against um, what I tend to like about Aronofsky's work, which is that it tends to be kind of more audacious. It tends to take risks. It doesn't really play into formula as much uh, in a way that this film seems to kind of play into formula. And, and I find it be kind of surprising that that Aronofsky was so willing and and uh, eager to kind of do that. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, again, I mean, I think where I find myself intrigued by is the um, what Aronofsky and the actors are doing with it, the their exploration of spirituality. Certainly, I think that's something that um, – Aronofsky, I think, is explored of late, certainly not only with Noah, but Mother. And then I think mm-hmm. the way he's kind of able to tie that into, like like I said, his two previous films with The Wrestler and uh, Black Swan, which explores the physical uh, and how one is able to kind of push themselves uh, either, you know, um, for their art or for their own personal gain or because they feel that they need to kind of strive for some sort of greatness. This isn't so much that it's like kind of a man pushing himself because he feels like he has to, like he's carrying this guilt. He feels that he, he is beyond the point of redemption, but the fact that the movie is able to kind of explore spirituality and the, and the nature of one having this sort of conflicted relationship with God and, and the idea of religion as the last shot shows. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting ground to explore. I don't know if the movies um has the the means to explore that meaningfully um but that's the thing i i I just yeah i don't i don't see what it's saying about spirituality that is interesting or that is like to me what it's trying to say about spirituality is just saying that like you know what it's okay to be manipulative it's okay to inflict harm upon people as long as you're doing it for for art you know, it, it, it's like it's, it feels very means justifies the end. And, and the morals of this whole thing, it just feels so confused to me. Like it just doesn't un, like understand even what it's saying, you know, from scene to scene. And, and it's just something that I from when you have something that is based on such a tight, it has to be a tight script set in such a tight location. Every word counts. Every expression counts. 
this stuff has to be kind of set. Like you kind of have to just get the sense that the director knows what they want to accomplish with this movie. And to me, it's like that's coming through in a very, you know, unflattering light. Yeah. And I mean, it does call in the question, like, how is it viewing uh, Charlie as a character? I mean, I've seen some reviews that say like, oh, like there it's kind of gawking at him. Like he's looking at him as this like monster of some sort. And I don't know if I fully agree with that. I think it does fall into that a lot. I think there's times where it gets into that. Certainly there's like a montage where he's like eating. He's like rubbing like, you know, grease all over his like face and shirt. That's a little like, I mean, it's meant to be upsetting, but you kind of wonder like what the intent is here. And then there's like other scenes to shock, to raise the action. It's all just cheap and manipulative, honestly, to me. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some truth to that, but I don't, I don't see the whole film as manipulative in that way, I guess. I don't, I mean, that's maybe me hoping for the best with the filmmakers. I don't exactly know because I just don't see why they would make this film if it was just to be provocative. I mean, not that other filmmakers haven't done that in the past, but I, I just feel like there is a, a desire for empathy, at least with Brendan Fraser's performance or Fraser's performance, uh, that uh, it, it does seem to be kind of searching. It is something that feels kind of uh, heartfelt. And I don't mm. think that's a case with Samuel Howard. I do think it's a case with Brendan Fraser, but I don't exactly know with Darren Aronofsky. That's where I kind of find do myself. you mean Samuel D. Hunter? Sorry, Samuel D. Hunter. I apologize. Um, but yeah, I guess it's for me looking at this, and I could be totally wrong, but I just I feel like you you are correct that the material doesn't seem to be heartfelt but i think the performance is and i just don't exactly know where aronofsky stands on this that's why i keep saying it. it's like it, it feels to me like it's confused it's like all this conflict and contradiction wrapped up in one thing that's it i mean people are crying at this movie you know not a few people a lot of people are watching this and they're they're like you know telling people like hey you know bring the tissues to this movie and i don't understand it uh, personally like to me like not a single moment of this really plugged on my heartstrings. Maybe I'm just cold, but uh, did, you, did you get the sense like you saw this in a theater? Yes. You know, I, I, there weren't a lot of critics at my screening. So yeah. like I didn't really have, I think it was like me and three other dudes. Um, so yeah, we weren't, we weren't having an episode, but w- what about you? I mean, it was, how much did you cry? Uh, I don't cry in movies as we've established. Um, I'm, That's in, the joke. I'm yeah. incapable of doing so. But I, I did find it to be uh, affecting. I haven't given up hope, Ashton. I think it's going to happen one well, day. Well, uh, you are correct in the sense that I have cried during one film. I don't know if you remember which one. You've told me, huh? Yeah. I have. Uh, I don't know if you remember. I think I forgot. You have to remind me. Uh, if you don't remember, then I'll have to save it for another episode. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> Got to keep the listeners in Speaking suspense. Speaking of misery and manipulation. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... I don't know. I, I guess this is where it gets a little bit complicated and it might get kind of heavy because like I think when it comes to like suicide or, or the in case like the desire for suicide, like it, I think the, the film itself seems to be kind of exploring the idea of like when when you're really in the trenches of it, you, you kind of feel like a burden and you don't think like like the, the Charlie, I think he sees himself as the sort of person who's like doing good by killing himself. And it's one of those things where it's like, obviously, there are people around him who are saying otherwise. Certainly, Hong Chao's character is saying that. Uh, but like, it, it seems like throughout the beginning of the film that Hong, or that Charlie sees himself as like 
accept he accepts his fate from the beginning on that he's going to die that this is the end of his life that there's nothing really like going to push him forward he just needs to kind of find closure and that he knows like at any given moment he could die he just kind of wants to find that that sense of like relief that he can give and i think that's where i find myself kind of touched and impacted by the story because it's something that I, I find myself very intrigued by and something that I, I think I've, I've kind of had, you know, I've talked about like my history of depression on the show and like things like that. And I've, I've had, you know, kind of things that I've explored with that, but I don't know. I, I don't know if the movie really earns the right to kind of explore those things. And that's where I find myself kind of, again, confused and frustrated with the film. It's like, does it earn the right to kind of explore these things to touch upon these things? I don't really know. But I do think that Frazier, like I said, if it wasn't for his performance, I don't know if I'd be willing to let this movie off the hook as much as I have. It's it's one of those things where if it was someone else, like I, I know James Corden at one point was attached to this, and I don't think that version of the film would be anywhere near as like conflicting for me as this one. Because I think I couldn't he, agree more yeah. there, at least. Uh, it, it's so interesting how Aronofsky, for the longest time, has with almost every movie, but especially like a movie like Requiem for a Dream. I mean, he just, he loves going to extremes. So, you know, like we said before, you can see what draws him to something like this. This is a movie about extremes. And I, I want to, to, to tug at that, you know, kind of hook, you know, of like how pain, misery, you know, this idea of eating yourself to death, as they say, and how that can be like, there's such a, a huge capacity for that versus the capacity for goodness and the capacity for caring for others. The only, the only thing I got from that was from the Hong Chao character, honestly, because everything else around her to me felt like everybody's just yeah. extremely self-serving and it felt very cynical and pessimistic. And I'm like, well, that's what your movie's getting at. I just want it to be a little bit more upfront and Hey, honest about that to me it comes off as like a middle school essay where it's just writing a bunch of flowery stuff to try to like say one thing and not say it super well and i think that's that's partly why like I, even even on the stuff that rubs me the wrong way and makes me really just heavily dislike this movie find it very obnoxious but even looking at some of the stuff that i think should still be technically good you know whatever i, I still find it just be such a slog and such a, a sloppy mess but you know, I can't say that I'm upset that you got more out of it than I did, because that's always that's always a good thing, I guess, um, that you were able to see, you know, sure. you're able to, to swim with this movie's tide a little bit more. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with you in the sense that, like, I, I find the other supporting characters outside of Hong Chao to be kind of straw men who just they, they feel like archetypes that are spit, fitting into the story as the screenwriter wants it to, as opposed to fully fleshed out characters in a way that not, that could just be what Hong Chao brings the material to be sure. But I, I feel like that's the only, that those moments are where the movie really comes to life for me. I think that really benefits the film to have a character like that, who feels grounded and honest and, and has uh, certainly a, a more rich relationship with the main character than, you know, kind of like uh, Sadie Singh's character who just seems to be, basically a terror and like i don't know like constantly throughout the film charlie's just like oh you're an amazing person you're great and she's like 
I'm literally like maybe the worst person alive. And your mother's like, no, no, seriously. She's like pretty awful. He's like, yeah, she's an amazing girl, a teenager, a little whippersnapper. And it's just like, I don't know. It it's almost makes the Charlie seem like, like dumber as a character. And we know he's not like dumb, but just kind of like, why would he be like this oblivious to how awful she is? And it's just like, I don't know. I mean, that's where like the material I think kind of fails the characters is that like they, they, they kind of serve their purpose in the narrative, but they don't really feel fully fleshed out with the exception of those two main characters. I think that's a good point. I think that if, you know, if Aronofsky had maybe updated the material a bit, because that is how the play is, from what I can tell, uh, it, it does go well, that far. Yeah. Um, I think that Aronofsky should have probably done a little bit harder work to update it, honestly. And I think I think Samuel D. Hunter did the screenplay. And he I think did. that was a mistake. I think so, too. Uh, and, I, and I wonder, like, like, yeah, why it didn't really adapt much. Like, I, I know it came out in 2012, but then, like, they mm -hmm. changed the story to be in 2016. But it doesn't really factor into the story much outside of the election. It's like they happening. watched, uh, yeah. It's like they watched a Red Rocket or right. something, and were like, "Well, we could do that too." I'm just kidding. They didn't I mean, watch Red Rocket. Came out, I think, after they were. Yeah, I mean, it would make. I was, I was thinking initially when I saw the film that it was going to be more about the quarantine and like how that might isolate the character by design. Like, oh, the and people for, can't show up. Like, what are you talking well, about? Talking they'd, about. Be wearing, like, they'd be masking. That's what I was saying. Is like, I guess initially that that was the reason why they they chose 2016 because they're like, "Well, we can't do 2012." Like we have the, the we have to discuss Trump, but we can't make it twenty twenty because then there there'd be no drama because it, it would just be Charlie by himself. So it's like eh, twenty sixteen, eh, good enough. <laughs> Again, so sloppy. I mean, that's the thing. It's like we've seen movies like Red Rocket do that better, where you know it, it it's sort of showing us how in like the background of these movies with everyday people that all the political grandstanding doesn't really amount to much to most people. You know, there are a lot of I think a lot of. Uh, people who are super online who are just like, how come people don't vote? You know, how come most people don't vote or whatever? And I like how sometimes movies like, you know, Red Rocket and others like it can show you like, well, because people got other stuff going on. I mean, you're kind of in your own bubble there. Uh, and so I, I, I like that. But in this movie, it's like, it's kind of doing the same thing, but it, it does feel a little bit aimless. It does feel a little bit less yeah, pointed because it's, it's like, okay. It's I, literally in the background. <laughs> <laughs> like it's yeah. just on the TV. Like they don't it's like just dating itself for no I reason. I mean, and at that point, just don't even call out what year it is. Just, you know, I mean, you don't have to, I was expecting some sort of maybe poignant, maybe cringy scene where it's like, we see like the uprise of like, you know, Trump's fan base and all that stuff. And that was going to bleed into like, people are capable of extreme cruelty and all that. So, like, I thought that's where it was leading up to. And it just didn't do that. <laughs> So it's like, okay, mm -hmm. then it's just 2016 because yeah. it's not the yeah, pandemic. Yeah, the daughter is just going to be like, when I turn 18, I'm voting for the dawn, you sure. know, whatever. Well, I was expecting but, that, but like, but why is she no. so into Facebook? Wouldn't she be in the Instagram by 2016? Your, so that, your guess is as good as mine. Because yeah, like, she's it, just sharing she'd photos. She'd be on Snapchat. Sure. But I don't know. I, I was, a th I mean, that baffled me too. I mean, I didn't get the I mean, of the course, whole look at who's thing. making the movie. Well, do sure. you really expect them? To sure. <laughs> Um, um, but do you think Sadie Sink was good or do you think she was just saddled with the worst character? I think it's a combination of things. I think that she's young and I think she sure. did what she was told to do, but didn't have, I think the confidence to push back mm. <laughs> honestly. Cause, and I have noticed this a little bit in stranger things. She's so much better in the latest season of stranger things, but I did notice in previous ones, like she has a tendency to overact a bit. Like her face is like yeah. moving more than her body. Well, and mm -hmm. it's weird because like she's acting well otherwise. Like, you know, I always 
buy into her characters. But yeah, there, she does a lot in this movie where I'm just like, whoa, like you're not a Disney character. Like sure. your, your eyes don't need to like do that. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, I mean, I've only seen her to my knowledge in one other thing. I didn't, I don't watch stranger things. Um, but earlier or not earlier this year, I have to say next last year in November of last year, uh, I was invited to the premiere of a local film called dear Zoe with Sard Sadie sink. Okay, uh, you didn't see uh, fear street 1978 no. or whatever it was. No. Okay. I didn't watch those. You told me to watch them. So I was like, I ain't watching those. It, but, right. Yeah, but you were sense. like, well, don't watch the whale. It's terrible. I was like, well, I got to watch this thing. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. Uh, But no, I mean, my first familiarity with her came from uh, only a few months ago when I saw Dear Zoe. And that was a film that, you know, with the caveat that I uh, was very appreciative of the filmmakers for inviting me to it and had a lovely time. Uh, I I do think that film is also kind of dramatically a little inert and over route. Uh, And I think her performance in that is better than it is in this because their character is a little bit more fleshed out. But I was kind of like, all right, maybe I I was excited to see her in The Whale because like, okay. It seems like there's talent here, but like this material doesn't really seem to be service here. Well, once we get to the whale, maybe we'll get the good stuff. And then like watch this. I'm uh, now I'm kind of like, okay, is it that she's kind of got saddled by two not great characters, or is just the talent isn't quite all the way there yet? I can't really tell. You know, it's it seems a little presumptuous and a little too early to assume. But yeah, I mean, since you've seen more of her stuff, uh, it seems like the jury is a little out there for now. Yeah, it's a mixed bag right now. Um, and I like her a lot. I, I think probably one of the best things I've seen her in, she's really good in that Taylor Swift short film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I did see her in that and she was good in that. Okay. So I, I, she I, was, I yeah. will rescind some of my doubt, uh, and say that there is potential there. I think, I think more than potential. I think she has proven herself. It's just a matter of like the right directors channeling that talent because, you know, I think that, yeah, she's still, again, she's still pretty young. She's only like, she's like in her early twenties. Like if like maybe like right at 20 years old, um, sure. That's it. I think that when this premiered at, I want to say TIFF, the the movie certainly, and I'll double check that because I'm actually not sure if it was TIFF. That it, no, it was Venice. Okay. So the movie premiered at Venice and people definitely called out Brendan Fraser and they're like, oh my gosh, Brendan Fraser. But also Sadie Sink. Like people were like, hey, Sadie Sink was like really, really good in this. And then critics started watching the movie and were like, uh, Hong Chow, like, let's go with that because I think, and, you know, Hong Chow and to also an extent, uh, Samantha Morton, I think are, you know, standouts here. And I, and I thought Ty Simpkins was okay. Like I, I he played the missionary kid. Uh, I, I thought his character was baffling and completely unnecessary. Ultimately. I, I, I don't know. I think he felt just sort of like a way to like extend the story that probably should have just, I'll say it be a short film. This this could have just been 20 minutes, uh, I think. Oh, he was the kid from uh, Jurassic World. He was. He's grown oh. up a bit, Will Ashton. Okay, I didn't, I, I, it's like, I've seen this face before. He was familiar, yeah. Why have I seen this face before? But yeah, like I so say, he's a little older. I can't, I, he, you know, he wasn't that little kid with the mop of hair or whatever. He's, you know, he's an older, uh, like a young adult now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was, I think the last thing we, he, he's still doing, um, I think Marvel stuff. I think they're going to, they might oh, do some Oh yeah, he was, a kid, in, he was uh, a kid in uh, Iron, Man, Iron 3. Man 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually don't know if they'll do anything with him in that. Because I remember seeing him, like if you go to Disney uh, Land, I know you haven't, but they have like the Marvel attraction stuff. And he he shows up like as like uh, a student at like this, uh, I forget what it is, but it's like some Stark thing. And he's like a special extra character there. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever do anything with yeah. him again. That's but, enough Marvel yeah. talk. We don't need to talk about Marvel. 
<laughs> well, all right. I'm going to put Didn't the kibosh on the, the Marvel talk. <laughs> well, then I guess that's a good note to get in the Rotten Tomatoes game. How about that? Oh, okay. Well, no final thoughts? I, I feel like I covered everything okay. I wanted to cover as much as I sure. can. Um, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't know if there's much more we need to say. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a film. Oof. The Rotten Tomatoes critics consensus is absolutely cringe. Uh, mm. I'll tell it to you after we. Uh, after oh, we you mean like the little like quote thing they have on the bottom of their yeah, the rating? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Boy. okay. Is it like problematic or is it more just kind of uh, dopey? Both. Uh, uh, okay, let's start with uh, the guessing game here. Mm. Uh, the whale on Rotten Tomatoes. We have 247 reviews counted. One of them's mine, so you have a little hint on where this might be. But uh, yeah, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is, Will, from critics? Uh, 45%. Your guess is 45. You're way off. Oh. Too way high off. Too You're way high. more off than you usually are. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Uh, 32%. You went lower. Interesting. It's higher. Oh, it's higher. Okay. Quite a bit higher. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I'll give you one more shot. It's in the 60s. Oh, okay. Uh, 64? A little close. It's 66. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm as surprised as you are. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, this is like I just, 30% or whatever. But uh, I, hey, Brandon Fraser, man. I mean, I just remember, want him. yeah, you mentioned like the uh, the festival response was like mixed to positive. Yes. And then it became kind of just generally mixed. And now I feel it's been like mixed to negative, if not outright negative. So I, I think got- it was in the 70s and 80s, like when the reviews started. And it's trickled down. Yeah, trended downward. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what about the? Oh, yeah, got it. No, I just, I mean, I figured it wasn't uh, eighty or higher, but I didn't Mm -hmm. think it was going to be in the sixties. I thought that would have been a little too uh, too high to assume. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, what about the audience score? Yeah, five hundred plus verified Mm. ratings. What's your guess? Uh, this could be anything. Literally, (laughs) I really don't know. This could honestly, any whatever you say, it is. I'm going to be like, that makes sense. <laughs> I could just lie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 58%. Oh man. This is not your day. Okay. <laughs> You're even more off than you were before. Oh, okay. So it's, it's, it's high. Is it like, uh, 85%? I'm going to, you're I'm right. Just, it's high and you went, you went in the right direction. I just flipped yes. the numbers around. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's 90%. Oh, 90. Okay. So I, I was, I was close to that time. People, people are watching the whale and they're like, I know who's not a Moby Dick, the person who made this movie. They're saying John's a real dick here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hunting uh, this whale criti- down. Here's that critics' consensus held together by a killer, Brendan Fraser. Okay. Already, huh? <laughs> the whale sings a song of empathy that will leave most viewers blubbering. Okay. So they they need yeah. the whale pun, the fat pun. Yeah. Okay. They feel they fit a lot of stuff in there, didn't they? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what about cinema score? I actually haven't seen the cinema score yet, so I'm looking it up here. Is there a cinema score? I don't see one. I guess there isn't one. I guess they were like, uh, he got an, Aronofsky got an F last time. Let's not even bother. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, yeah, that's why I was curious. Like, I mean, yeah, how did it compare? I mean, it didn't get a, I guess it didn't get a wide release, huh? It just got unlimited in, uh, uh, I know, limited in December. Yeah, I don't know how wide the release was. Um, neither. I mean, it's A24. I can see the box office is only 6.2 million, so doesn't scream you know that it was in more than 500 theaters i was gonna say yeah because like 824 i don't 
honestly know what their release strategy is anymore. Like some yeah, movies it's confusing. Some movies get a wide release like X and Pearl. Mm-hmm. And then some get like Which like pay this. their bills and then some. Right. And then there's some that get kind of like a uh, medium release like you said like maybe like 500 or so theaters nationwide. Mm-hmm. And then some get like completely limited like you know basically New York and LA and then go VOD. And then some are just on VOD. Yeah, some of them like A24 pays you to watch them. <laughs> You're just right. like, wait, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, I'll watch funny pages. But... Right. Well, that one, I, I think that was in actually New York and LA. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking was like being... like false positive. Like they just like threw that onto the Hulu. They're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Like, yeah, this is just your watch it now. if you want. <laughs> We're washing their hands of that one. Um, okay. We'll finish out on Letterboxd. This already has 50,000 watches on Letterboxd. That's actually. Wow, that really tells you the letterbox community is filled with like the screener squads, man. Like the fact that it didn't get a wide release, it's not on VOD, uh, and it only made six point two million, but like fifty thousand on Letterboxd, That's more than Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. I was say, I mean, well, yeah, because they didn't talk about this in the Puss in Boots review, but like you have to assume that most people are, who watch Puss in Boots are actual children. So like they're not gonna you know they're not like eight year olds on Letterbox. That's fair, but what there are parents the folks, who take their kids to yeah. But like any A twenty four movie is like the t the key demographic for yes Letterbox. There so, are a lot of people in Hollywood, the industry who are on Letterbox. A lot of them were all over this movie. Yeah, so there there's a lot of that. I think there are a lot of people who a lot of people who get screeners who aren't even critics. To be clear, you know a lot of you know okay. people who work in the you know in the whole biz. Yeah, and I mean, it's not only people yeah. seeing screeners. Like, obviously, people are going to theaters. Not a lot, I mean, because the box yeah. office isn't great. And Brendan but... Fraser has lots of friends. Sure. You know, he's a, such a likable guy. I mean, look yeah. at that face. Uh, yeah, I mean... You just want to have a beer with him. Sure. I mean, I don't know. If it's the like type of film that, like, I can't imagine a ton of people, especially around Christmas, like, will go out of their way to see in theaters. But if that screener yeah. slips through the door, you're probably going to watch it. Like, I want to see what this Brendan Fraser yeah. performance is all about. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, uh, they but, wanted uh, to know where they stood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they logged it on Letterboxd. So. I mean, but what about that average rating? I'm very curious if you're going to get this. Okay, Zero yeah. to five decimal points. What do you got? I, I will answer this, but I do have a question after this. But because uh, I do, I, we, we, we didn't really talk about the Oscar stuff. But uh, I will say for the rating, I will guess 3.3. No, you're doing better than you have before. Um, not quite there though. It's uh, three point seven. Okay, a little higher than I anticipated. That is that is much higher than I anticipated. I, I'm actually kind of shocked that it, it's this high. Um, friends of the show, uh, you know, Ryan Oliver gave it two stars. Yeah, recently uh, today, Robert, I think, uh, they think he did. Robert Yanez gave it three and a half. Uh, which you know, hey, there you go. Um, Donato, Matt Donato gave it two stars. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it's all over the map here. Charlie Ridgely loved it. Three and a half. Uh, I say loved it because you put the heart. Um, I don't know where Corey stands on it. Corey didn't read Corey it. liked it. We talked about it. He liked it. Okay. Yeah. He didn't put the heart. Um, he didn't do a number. What am I supposed to take from that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at my letterbox. Uh, Our I mean, friend the highest... Isaac Feldberg gave it mm-hmm. one and a half stars. Yeah, I saw that. He said, no, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, the highest on my letter box is Alex Billington, who gave it five out of five. Um, well, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing a few fives. I'm seeing, um, I see a couple fives. I see a few four and a halves. I'm seeing a few fours, mostly mm. twos, a few, a couple, uh, threes, 
a lot of wow, half, David Chen gave it four stars. I'm yeah. shocked. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense to me. Friends of the uh, show, Emma Sasek and Aaron Dicer both gave it three stars. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. What, a, I, what an eclectic mix. Yeah, um, which, you know, part of the course, what do you expect? Man of the Jedi gave it four stars. Mm-hmm. Man, it's uh, hey, if you if you want to read a review of the whale and you know exactly what kind of review you want, you're gonna find it. You just yeah. gotta do a quick search, and everybody's got a different take. I yeah. love it. I mean, I, I always find those kind of movies more exciting. Certainly, I mean, uh, Babylon seems to be fitting in that category right now as well, where it's like whatever opinion you have, someone will agree with you, probably. <laughs> That's pretty fair to say. Uh, um, yeah. But you wanted to talk about an Oscar thing? What's well, no, I just, okay? no, no, no. I just was curious. Like, do you think Brendan Fraser at this point, and obviously it's premature to assume that's why I'm saving this for the end of the episode, uh, because we could very well be wrong. But do you think he will get the Oscar for this? Or do you think it's basically going to be like Colin <sighs> Farrell at this point? I, I, if you would ask me before I had looked at all of these like critical, you know, reactions. And I think a lot of it is being pushed by the industry. And this audience rating, I actually got to say, I think he probably, he stands a much better shot than I thought. I always thought he had a pretty good chance um, because I do think that the the big limiting thing for Colin Farrell is that it his movie really is a two-hander. And I think a lot of people are going to recognize that. Uh, and I think that, yeah, if you really look at Banshees of Andy Sheeran and you compare it to The Whale in terms of like the best lead actor, if you kind of do it on a technicality, you kind of have to look at Brendan Fraser and be like, man, he, he carries that movie and then some. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Hong Chao and Samantha Morton really rounded out, in my opinion. But sure. yeah, I, you know, no pun intended, by the way. Sure. Um, I mean, it just at this point, I mean, it seems like it's kind of, I mean, obviously there are five nominations and like, it looks like Bill Nighy might get nominated and like Tom Cruise might get nominated or Tom Hanks might get nominated. I'm not exactly sure who's going to fill out that fifth one. Uh, right. But I think of the nominees, like it's basically a three-way race at the moment between Brendan Fraser for this film, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Ada Sheeran, and then Austin Butler for Elvis. Yes. I was going to say, Austin Butler, who we hadn't mentioned yet, is really like his his Oscar campaign is in full swing. And I think uh, him getting the nomination from Critics' Choice really helped cement that. Because I think some people were still doubting that that was going to happen. And then Critics' Choice came out and be like, and then you saw his face and now we're all believers. Um, but I mean, for me, I would immediately go to Paul Mezcal. He also got a nomination and I don't think he'll it's win. It's possible but that he'll get I nominated. Think- yeah. It's possible to get nominated, but yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have the energy behind that performance because it After Sun is just such a specific kind of movie that I don't think the Academy would really get behind. Maybe um, it's, unfortunately. I mean, I think it's more along the lines of A twenty four putting all of their eggs as far as best actor are concerned with Brendan Fraser for the way. If I know the Academy, man, I I think they're gonna look at this list of actors. And they're going to say, like, this is Brendan Fraser's movie. A lot of because a lot of people in the Academy are in the industry and they love this guy. And they're going to say, if we give him this award, even if we don't necessarily like the film, and for a lot of them, they are going to like the film, they're going to look at this and say, like, he deserves this. We, this could, like, make his career. And they're going to look at these other folks and it's all political. They're going to look at, like, Austin Butler and be like, all right, you know, he he's still kind of like, you know, early in his like cinematic career, you know, he'll have other opportunities they'll assume, you know, and I think they'll look at Colin Farrell and be like, ah, not this one. You know, maybe the, maybe the next one he's close. And I think, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise is the tough one because I'm like, 
okay. I mean, How I much think, people really like Top Gun Maverick? I mean, I think people are generally seeing Top Gun as an achievement in producing, which yes. is why it, it seems like it has a decent chance at the moment to win Best Picture, which is which seems unfathomable this time last year. I know, but, right? But I mean, yeah, but it seems like it's basically between Top Gun and everything everywhere at once, which also seems kind of absurd that that is uh, potentially going to win Best Picture. But that's, that's not the business. There. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Things are unpredictable. Yeah. I mean, as far as, uh, I mean, I, I agree with you that I think Frazier stands a decent chance. I think everyone just likes the guy and I think everyone would be happy if he won, even if they don't love the film. And I do think like for me, I think it's kind of silly to like pronounce one performance as like this is the performance of the year. As, unless like there's like some truly tour de force performance that's like unquestionably the performance of the year. I don't think that's quite it for the whale. I think Brendan Fraser is still going to do great work. I think his best work is hopefully still ahead of him. Yes. Uh, but if I look at the Oscars as like, okay, this is going to give him clout in the industry and, and allow him to get opportunities that may not have been available to him before this performance and before this award, then I, I, then I am hopeful that the whale will pave the way for good things if he wins the Oscar. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, like I said, it, it could go to any of those three actors I, I said. Or maybe Bill Nighy takes it. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, I haven't seen Living, so I, I can't really speak to that one. I don't um, know if it. I don't know if I'd give I do the think, man an Oscar, but it's good. I gotta admit, I, I do think Best Actress is a much more interesting race. Like it, it's like, whew, you know, like way more powerhouse performances by comparison in my sure. you know my but opinion i do like at this moment that there's no like clear front runner for either i mean i guess you could say like sure cape blanchett michelle yeo, you could argue yeah michelle yeo and cape blanchett, yeah. blanchett are the two but i like and that, i think like, people thought yeah. margot Roby was going to be more you know mm-hmm. but i like that like and michelle williams yeah I, I think normally it feels like okay like either in this race or this race, like, well, this person's clearly going to win the best actor, best actress race. Now it's just like, well, who's going to win this one for now? It seems like, okay, like, you know, theoretically three of the four people could win for either award. Let's see what happens. Sure. And I think that you already mentioned best picture, but like, that's one where I'm so happy that things worked out. Cause I remember going into award season, people were like, yeah, okay. It's probably going to be the Fablemans uh, unless, you know, Avatar or Babylon end up just like killing it. And I think instead we've kind of come out of it being like, all right, well, all three of those movies have certainly found their fans, but like, is there really a clear front runner? I, I don't actually think so yet. Like I, I honestly, I look at the best pe- picture contenders and I don't think Babylon really stands a chance at this point. But or, or banshees, but yeah, I could see it being a few different things. Honestly, well, that's why I'm kind of wondering if Top Gun will actually win because, like, it seems like it's the one that everyone can kind of agree is like good. Like, yeah, it's like a well-produced, well-made piece of entertainment. Everyone saw and liked it, so therefore, like, you know, it's, it's the congeniality pick, right? I, I, in some respects, and I think you know people generally really like that movie. But yeah, I mean, like compared to like you know, I think there are people who are you know, really big fans of tar. People are really big fans of everything, everything ever all at once. People are really big yeah. fans of Banshee's Vish. RRR. I mean, if that gets nominated, I, I mean, I'd be delighted if it is, but Critics not- choice gave it. Yeah, yeah. We, we showed up for RRR critics choice. Sure. I put it, I was down ballot with that movie. Sure. I mean, it could be, I just, I I'm open to the surprise of it getting nominated. I just don't want to assume it's going to get nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, believe me, I mean, I would be delighted. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I don't want to get my hopes yeah. up either, but it's still happening. Like, <laughs> it could. I, I, got, I mean, yeah. how crazy is that? That movie could potentially get nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It'd be seriously incredibly I good. That. Yeah. Hey there, Cinemaholics people. So sorry to cut in here. We're at the end of the show. 
and something went down while we were recording the end of this episode. Basically, I lost power. Uh, We didn't lose the recording, thankfully, but that does mean that our conversation ends a bit abruptly. So here I am trying to make it less abrupt. Uh, We had a great conversation here. We're going to talk about more Oscar stuff coming up, though. So even though we weren't totally done with our thoughts, for sure, you're going to be hearing more from us on this topic. But uh, yeah, apologies for the for the tech issue there. We'll see you all next week. We're going to be talking about Megan, of course, for the main show and obviously our best films of the year episodes coming up. So lots to stay tuned for. We'll see you then.